Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm excited for another fabulous guest. Today, I am going to be speaking with Alan Keller, who is a mental health advocate, keynote speaker, author, and coach, and he is on a mission to empower people to live an authentic, passionate, and connected life. Welcome to the show, Alan. Kristen, what an intro. Yes, happy to be here. And I'm happy for you to be here too. And just everyone is always interested to know how I know my guests. And so Alan and I are both part of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. And Alan, remind me where you're located because I don't want to say the city wrong. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Yes, coming in from Saskatoon. What's the weather like in Saskatoon today? It is so hot. There's no reason that anybody here would ever go to Mexico. It is plus two. Yeah, plus two, plus yeah. two Celsius. Yes, yeah. yes, so warm. Actually, yeah, it does feel like thirty though. Yes, after oh, the I coldness, I'm grateful. Yes, and the spring's on its way, so that's always exciting. Agreed. So, Alan, as a starting point, uh, your story is something that really touched me in um, in a multitude of ways, and I would love, as a starting point, to give the audience an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you and your story, and why you're so passionate about the work that you do in terms of mental health advocacy. Yeah, thanks, Kristen. You know, here's here's the short and sweet. I, I, I look back on my life and there is no logical explanation why I should still be vertical, why I should still be breathing, other than the fact that I feel I am simply here to uh, carry a message. And I do so with a lot of um, gratitude, humility. I grew up in a very small town. Uh, we didn't talk about things like mental health. My identity was formed off the hop as somebody who excelled in academics, in athletics. My challenges with mental illness really began in grade eight, where it started off with body dysmorphic disorder. I basically was in a lot of emotional pain and I had no idea how to talk about it. And therefore, because I didn't talk about it, I'm the one who suffered more than anyone else. And it was this idea of a proverbial mask where I basically, as so many do, put on that smile and perform. And my challenges just continuously got worse. Um, fast forward, eventually, when I was finally able to be vulnerable and get some help, I, oh my gosh. I mean, Kristen, I met with, I met with almost 30 different mental health professionals. So many labels came at me. And I, because I didn't, like, I didn't know who I was. I just, I just was like, Ooh. I ingested them. And then so many medications, you know, I, was, I think I was on 12 pharmaceutical pills in a span of six years. And then, you know, the self-harm, I was a compulsive gambler and alcoholic. When, 
we don't have tools to manage our pain, we grab at straws. It is logical, isn't it, for someone to want to leave pain behind in exchange for pleasure. And I mean, I don't, I, even when I, when I started to, to speak, I, I shared my story. And I think I shared way too much. It was probably more about me than it was about them. And without getting too much into, you know, the pain, I reached a point eventually, as many do, it's like that proverbial fork in the road, either you, you, like, it, if you want something different, you have to do something different. And, and that took place after I had collapsed outside of a classroom where I was teaching and a doctor had given me a month to live if I didn't change what I was doing, which whatever, I really, I cared, but it's, it's not like it was a surprise. My life was just fueled with um, gambling and alcohol and I was having seizures all the time. And, and, and the thing that bothers me and, and what stands out though, Kristen, is that nobody knew. When, when we immerse ourselves in this world of addiction, sadly, we just push everyone to the side, right? And it was so lonely. But when all these students are peering down at me and, you know, they're like, oh, Mr. K, are you okay? And once again, it's the mask, right? Oh, yeah, no, I'm good. I was like, I, get, I, get, I can't do this anymore. And um, the catalyst was this understanding how vulnerability actually equals strength. It is really hard to take risks, isn't it? You know, step outside of our comfort zone. I was able to get myself into numerous support groups, whether it was bipolar, uh, Gamblers Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, a group for other men who've been sexually abused. What? Like, though, I, 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 I don't, I don't even have words to explain a lot of those fears. But the the thing was, once I was able to get into those spaces, ha. Oh, felt better because all of a sudden I'm hearing my story through theirs and it's like oh wait what emotions are energy and when I can be free from some of the darkness it's going to make more room for light all these uh I'm hitting you with metaphors here but you know it, it 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 was just liberating and I understood the need and the importance of surrounding myself with others who spoke my language meaning lived experiences and so even once I started to share my story at a public level Oh, other people are approaching me and saying, oh, me too. What? What? And I had an interesting conversation this morning with uh, a guy who sees me for coaching. And, and it was about, can we really afford to be anonymous with whether it's addictions or mental health? I mean, geez, I, I spent so many years in absolute silence, just suffering. And I meet with so many people who carry their pain for so long, wherever it is, communities, corporate world, schools. And it's like enough, you know, enough. I, I rented out so much headspace to what other people thought about me. And you, you, you arrive at a place where, oh, this is your journey, you know, uh, just to surrender to the things that you can't control and how to create your own peace and stop being a victim. and my gosh, there's been a lot of learning and I'm still learning, but uh, that's a little bit about me. <sighs> Thank you. I mean, I, I'm not at all surprised that you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and share openly because I know mm. that's what you're out there modeling and, and helping others. And 
you know, there's a couple of different directions I want to take you um, because I think there's, you know, talking about what this looks like in terms of organizations and how they can be supporting different people when it comes to mental health and what they can be aware of and questions and things like that from a leadership perspective. But I think where I want to start first, and it's something that I see quite often, um, I'm curious around how others can be aware of this and support is that I think for a lot of men specifically, um, there's a lot of uh, socialization, there's um, toxic masculinity, there's all these things that make it even harder for them to, to step forward. And, you know, I look at a lot of women who want to, in some way, be able to offer support and ask questions and be able to be an ally in some ways, but they struggle to know, like, what does that look like? So, I'm curious if would you be able to share with us for perhaps women who are supporting men in a, a variety of different ways, whether it's husbands and and whether that's um, fathers or uh, nieces and nephews, whatever that might look like, how can they better support men on this journey? Great question. The supporting role is one that I have so much empathy for. Here's something interesting, actually, Kristen. The the last book that I wrote was on men and mental health, right? interviewed a lot of men who bought the book more than anyone else, women, people in a position of support, because it's like, I just need to understand. And my wife, Tanya, you know, it's, I love learning from her. She supports me in a way in which she doesn't lose herself in my journey. And that's hard because when we care about someone, whether it's in the workplace or in the family, it is very difficult to not lose ourselves. I think it's almost as though you have like front row seats often to a horrific show where you often see the person you care about deteriorate in front of your eyes. And it's like, how, how can I help? What can I do? First of all, you cannot help someone that does not want to be helped, right? And that's tough. That's a tough. So it, it really comes back to, okay, what can I control and what can I not control? Say and do everything in those moments so that you don't look back thinking, damn, I, sh I should have done more. And I think first and foremost, it starts with not trying to fix someone. I never wanted to be fixed. When I, when I was able to get myself into these uh, support groups, it became apparent to me that actually all that I wanted was to be seen. I wanted to be heard. And yeah, I wanted to be supported. Now, for me to get any of those, I had to be vulnerable. And so I think on the outside, it's understanding that silence is not the answer, right? Saying nothing will, will not help. When I was in high school and all these signs are there, I mean, I could put up every single sign where somebody's struggling with their mental health, check it all off for me, but yet not one person approached me. And you know, educators could talk to my parents, but what's the message that we get when we're in pain and nobody approaches us? Nobody cares. So X on that one. So then it comes down to, well, then what do we say? And I think it's very simple. It's, it's as simple as, I don't mean to pry. I just want to let you know I'm concerned. I just want to let you know that I'd be more than happy to listen if you ever needed to talk. That is how we can first and foremost support someone. And then we understand that whether or not they access that or utilize that is completely out of our control. And they probably won't in that moment want to talk. But the key thing is that when they are ready, we drop what we're doing, validate the courage that it took for them to reach out. And then we just listen. And we don't have to be some kind of formal counselor. We listen. 
And this is kind of what I was saying before, Chris, and this understanding that emotions are energy. When somebody is able to simply feel safe enough to go to that place, to be vulnerable and talk about their pain, they feel better, right? What a gift. What a gift. No judgment, compassion, listening, and then we can guide them to other formal supports. Again, understanding that whether or not they access those is out of our control. And then we just continuously check in. That's it. But it's, it's really, really hard. And what I hear from a lot of people is, but what if they die by suicide? Mm. What if they do? What if they do? I lost my best friend to suicide. I, I, the lessons I learned were, were, um, wow, so vast. But, but the biggest one was you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. So that's kind of the approach that I, I, I feel. And really a lot of, a lot of times it also comes down to communication. What do you need from me? That's what Tanya often says to me. How can I support you? Do you need a hug? Some, sometimes that's all I need. Sometimes that's all people need. Sometimes we need our space, but then it's important for us to communicate that. Communication is everything. Yeah. 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 It's, it's asking the questions, not making assumptions. Now, when I, when I hear you share that as well, I know you said there was a, like a, a catalyst, which was, you know, what's one, you have one month, you're going to die if something doesn't change. But like you said, it wasn't, you weren't surprised. It wasn't the first time you heard that. So, and you said you had the support groups as well, but what did you know was going, what did you notice was going on for yourself internally where you started to make these shifts and wanted you, you wanted to live now, right? Help me understand that a little bit more, that part of your journey. Tanya, uh, I think, um, so I, I had met Tanya and she had two boys. And what, what blew me away was, it was like, kids are beautiful teachers, right? And I had never really been around kids and they just loved me for me. And I was like, that's, that, that's so different. That is power. And I stopped kind of wearing the mask and I realized it's okay to be me. And if I'm me, I'm loved. And then to have someone like Tanya, who just um, believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, and so I was three months sober, Kristen, when I moved from Edmonton to Saskatoon, when I moved in with Tanya and her two kids, I had finally finished school. I was almost, I almost checked myself in a treatment center. Um, oh, here's something. Guess, guess where I got hired, Kristen? Three months sober, I get hired at an inpatient treatment center. I don't recommend that, but that just speaks to, oh, and I was hired at a college to teach a course on uh, people who are trained to be an addictions counselor. Yeah, that makes sense. But that was just the life that I led. You know, the, I learned how to get sober by being a counselor. That's, that's different. But it was this, this time where Tanya basically just said, like, we're, we're moving forward. We're, we're done with the self-harm. We're done with the addictions. And this is where some people, and everyone's got their opinion, which is fair. For me, the tough love approach is what I needed. There was never, there was never an opportunity um, you know, like it, I, I've always known that if I choose to go back down the path uh, of alcohol or whatever, I'm, 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 I'm going to lose all this. And, and that has always been made clear. And that has been my saving grace. 
So the the turning point was 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 realizing that it was okay to be me, um, to stop with the the mask, to to embrace who I really am, which is an empath, somebody who feels, but as a man, that's hard. Um, and then really cutting ties with people who weren't lifting me up, setting boundaries. I'd never known about boundaries and and trauma and abuse played a a huge part in that trust, you know, it was, and it still is very much, um, um, a process, but I guess really it's the understanding that feeling is what leads to healing. The more I felt and the more I talked, the better, um, I felt inside. And what do you start to notice as you get to this place where you do get to be your authentic self and do get to show up with that beautiful sensitivity that is so needed in the world? Um, what starts to feel different? How does your world shift? Not only in terms of, of course, you have this beautiful family, but just in terms of you being out there in the world, what starts to feel different, Alan? Everything. There is such a significant difference between people who exist and people who live, right? Existing, I would say, is people who go through the motions, but not the emotions. So the, the secret talks about law of attraction. I am far from religious, but I'm very spiritual. And I do believe in intention and what we put out there. So what happened is as soon as I give myself permission to be my authentic self and put that out there with love, well, then all of a sudden all these other people start to come out of the woodworks and I'm starting to surround myself with like-minded individuals. And then the more that I talk, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how dark is drawn to light, isn't it? No different than the work that you do. Everybody is begging to take off that proverbial mask, but they're just waiting for that time or that space to do so. And if we can offer that, which we all can, um, wow, what a gift. So what does it feel like? Um, my, my life couldn't be more different today than it was you know, 12 years ago. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's, (laughs) it's, you are constantly trusting and, and leaning into what that feels like to be with that aliveness. And the more you experience that aliveness, you know what that's like. And I like when you were saying, um, the, to leap, to be living the, to, to be living as opposed to being an autopilot. And I see a lot of the autopilot and, and, and sometimes it's about helping people see, and I hope some people are listening now and recognizing that there are possibilities and there is a different way. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so there is a level of trust and trusting that there's a different way. And, you know, we, I talked a little bit at the beginning and I want to bring back this thread for a second. When we start to think about organizations, you know, I hear the, the edu- educational system in, in some ways for a variety of reasons failed you and didn't see signs and wasn't necessarily there for you. And I think when we also look at mental health, there's a whole spectrum, right? There's um, a whole different degree. And especially with what's been going on with this pandemic over the last couple of years. And um, I think there's an opportunity for both organizations from a cultural perspective, and then the leaders who are leading these individuals and have an opportunity to show up with humanity. Um, What would you like to see if so leaders listening right now, and they're thinking to themselves, I want to be that leader. I want to be someone that shows up with those human skills. What are your recommendations for them? Kristen, I had an interesting conversation with a leader last week 
who said that she wants to be vulnerable, but she fears that it would then affect her reputation of being in control and of being strong. How often do we hear that? So first of all, I personally believe that more than anything, what people want is real. People want somebody who is authentic. And what I have seen in a lot of the interviews that I've done, a lot of the people that I've worked with is when leaders give themselves permission to be vulnerable, it gives others permission to do the same. The formula is very simple. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. I think we really have to redefine what it means to be strong uh, because a lot of leaders will say, yeah, but if I share maybe what's going on with me or in my family, maybe I'll be perceived as weak. That's messed up. I I hear that. And that's, that's sad. It means that we have to have these conversations because I, and I think that we would collectively, if we actually talked openly and honestly about it, we would come to the general consensus that no being vulnerable is an absolute strength and necessary in our organizations and in our communities. Here's the kicker. What, what motivates me the most is that the kids are actually always watching, right? Good grief. If we as parents or as just citizens can't model some of that vulnerability, why would they? If we can't talk about our emotions, why would they? And, and so I also think it's important to have those conversations, have the check-ins. How are you doing today? And then use their name. Yes. How are you doing today, Kristen? It, it's the way that it's asked. It's the genuineness behind it. The, 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 the words, how are you doing, is so damn robotic. It, it, for most people, it, they don't want you to actually respond, correct? It's just a greeting. And often, it, it, if the person does start talking, they're like, I'm sorry, I asked. <laughs> like, I didn't really want to know. I just was asking to be polite. <laughs> yeah. And we all know that. We all feel it. So I feel as though with leaders, authenticity is key giving a little bit of glimpse into, into what you're feeling, maybe what you're experiencing, that you too are experiencing some anxiety, that you too are feeling overwhelmed. Here are some things that are working for me. How are you doing today? It's like often there has to be a lead in, a segue. I'm going to go to that place and then turn it over. And more often than not, it's, it's that permission piece, isn't it? Yeah, I've said this so often. I, I like definitely is not just during the pandemic. I'll always, I think this is important. But those times where even you set the tone where a meeting happens, and at the beginning of the meeting, as the leader, just even saying, you know, I'm curious how everyone's doing today because I got to tell you, I'm having a pretty tough week, or I'm having a tough day, or this is what's been going on in my world. All of a sudden, it opens up, and every time I've talked to a leader that has done this, it has never been like, oh, everyone's like, well good for you. Like it's, it opens up. Everyone's all of a sudden sharing. And then again, they're no longer feel alone because they recognize they're not the only one that's feeling that way. And they were feeling sometimes that shame that it's like, well, everyone else has it together. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, that's not necessarily what it looks like. And so it's creating this connection. And you know, as I'm talking and, 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 you know, I do a lot of work around emotional intelligence and where so many people are in the neck up, getting people dropping down and getting into their bodies because there's so much intelligence there. And so when I hear you talking about emotions, it's a process to be with emotions and notice them and name them and don't judge them and release them. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit around what's that been like for you, because I'm sure back in the day, no one pulled you aside and said, 
Hey, Alan, this is what it looks like to feel big emotions. And this is how you work with the big emotions. My experience is I'm working with a whole bunch of adults that never had that conversation. So they're now learning it now. And it's, it's a little bit awkward and it's like two steps forward, one step back. So talk to me around what that's been like for you. I like, I guess for me to heal was to thaw. I was so frozen, you know, so rigid. Uh, anybody who tried to make me feel, I actually repelled. Uh, anger was always my go-to. It's a go-to for most men. Then, I, then over time, I realized that anger is just the secondary emotion. And when I understood that sadness is what actually fueled it, I cried. But the reason I cried is because I actually gave myself permission to go there. We live in this world where it's just go, go, go ask people, how are you doing? Busy, so busy. If we give ourselves permission to slow down, then just pay attention to thoughts, pay attention to what's in there. We all have it. We just use different things to suppress it, don't we? Different blankets to cover it up. Sometimes it is work. Um, but yeah, it was really about slowing down and um, learning that feeling wasn't going to kill me. And and the more rewards that we get from our behaviors, the more we're going to continue to do them. So if people, and this is what I had to come to understand, I had to understand, like, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I often ask this true or false in one of my keynotes. Do you respond the same way to your emotional pain as your physical pain? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. mm. And most people will say no. And then we talk about what emotions are in here and understanding that if we don't manage them, we get full and, and how does it then come out? And then the, the closing question circling everyone back is at the end of the day, should we respond the same way to our emotional pain as physical? Should we? And everyone's like, yes, yes, exactly. So that's kind of the foundation for this awareness, which I had to come to because I was physically sick and how many um, leaders and just people are so full or empaths or helpers who are carrying everyone else's shit. And it's like, if we don't look at it, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And what I was really coming up for me as you were talking through that is there isn't any space to create it. Right. So whether a lot of times it's unconscious, but they're numbing through the work, through the doing, through the action, because then they don't have to be in the space. And then when they slow down, it's like, Oh, there's some stuff bubbling up here. I don't want to be with this stuff that's bubbling up or it manifests with things such as anger. I've seen that a lot for men because it's safer, right? Well, I'll just put the anger out there as safer. Again, it feels like it's something that they can work with. It has ramifications for the people around them. And then underneath it all is just that part of them. Sometimes I've just, it's like that little boy or little girl in all of us. It just wants to be witnessed and seen and wants to let it out. And I, you know, as you're talking, I, I have to say that in this work that I've been doing with organizations where it feels like almost 20 years now, when I think about humanizing the workplace in different capacities, I do feel like there's, uh, I talk about instead of the great resignation, it's the great awakening. And I do feel like there is this shift that's happening where the organization can actually be a place where a lot of healing can happen if we start to have the right conversations. 
I agree with you 100%, Kristen. It, it, I just find it very interesting that a word like healing is so intimidating and uncomfortable for the corporate world, isn't it? Healing, um, spirituality, which is so different than religion, but a key component for where I've gotten. These are conversations that I think have to take place. And I totally agree that we are moving the right way. There's still so much uh, rigidity. Is that even a word? Yes. right barriers walls up but hey kudos to you for paving the way well i think all of us right we are all it needs to be done collectively and and what i hear it's interesting even to use that analogy around the physical and emotional um we're fine with using the word healing if we're talking about healing from an injury right right when the word healing is okay it's like so i think that's the bridge right it's like okay well healing doesn't just happen on a physical level it happens on an emotional and uh, spiritual and and all of bringing that all together and so i think this is why this work is so important and i feel like i'd like to continue talking with you about this for another three hours because <laughs> this work is so important um but one of the things that i like to, to 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 leave with you when it comes to what you'd like to see more of an organization so if, if you could wave your magic wand and you've spoken beautifully about many of them right more vulnerability more human conversations asking the questions um, but what else would you like to see? Where's the, the path forward if we start to look into the future and there is more of these conversations around mental health? And this is in the workplaces and this is also in our communities. What do you long for? What would you like to see more of? I guess in a perfect world, um, I like dogs. I like dogs because dogs just love. Dogs don't, don't make any judgments based on what they see, right? And they allow people to just be their authentic self. In a perfect world, I would love for people to show up as they are. Yes, no doubt. Sometimes we have to turn some of those emotions off so that we can get through our work, but where people felt as though they no longer had to hide, that they could understand that if they were indeed vulnerable, that they would not be met with any repercussions, but actually the opposite embraced. And um, what was interesting is a lot of the men that I interviewed for that last project their fears were always that they would be judged, uh, ridiculed even, or per be perceived as weak in their place of work. But, but when they reached out to a person of trust, they were actually met with compassion and, and a lot of them love. And so ideally, that's what I would love to happen for us to get to this place where we just respect each other and respect the emotions that they're going through and don't form our own opinions around it. But Love. I mean, that's another word. Love is for us as men. Mm, that that's that's awkward. Um, but hey, if I have the magic wand, dare I say that we love each other? That's so fluffy, but it's really powerful. Yeah, I, I respect. Yes. 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 Yeah. That, I, I mean, I, I, again, that language of love, I think people are understanding what it looks like to really connect human to human. And that's what that love and compassion is all about. And when you think of uh, an inspirational leader, so we think about some of those leaders and organizations that are doing this, what are some of those character characteristics you think they possess? Hey, there's something over your left shoulder. I just noticed. Does that say all you, all you need is love? Yep. <sighs> there you have it. You put that up there just for this because you're an intuitive and <laughs> yes, you knew. Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what 
what characteristics, you know, I think uh, compassion is right there at the front. And here's the other thing. Sometimes I feel as though we, we think of leaders as the structural uh, ladder in companies. Anybody can be a leader, right? It doesn't have to be this uh, on the pay scale or whatever. When anybody within an organization gives themselves permission to be vulnerable, when anybody goes out of their way to actually genuinely check in on someone, that is being a leader and has a profound ripple effect and other people take that cue. So I think in terms of characteristics, compassion, um, love, respect, judgment does not serve any purpose. You know, it's, it's just putting our own beliefs aside for a moment, listening. And when I say listening, I mean actively listen because that is hard for a lot of people. Like, I mean, I would, I would seriously say 98% of people suck at listening. Yeah. It's such that's a, not scientifically yes. backed up, but we should do a study. I think, I think to be fully present to the human in front of you is the biggest gift you can possibly give another human to be fully, fully present. And we all know what that looks like to be fully present or to feel the full presence of the person in front of us. Um, Alan, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thought. What is coming up for you as a final thought? Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think, um, maybe what comes up is I, I had just, uh, um, reviewed that Ted talk. Right. And, and what, 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 how it ended was people often ask about this tattoo and J.A., those are the initials of my best friend who we lost to suicide. And, and the reason that I put that on my throat was this reminder and this understanding that I cannot afford to be silent when it comes to my own mental health and others in general, um, that we have to collectively put a voice to it, whether it's in the workplace, in our communities, and maybe most of all under, under our roofs so that the kids can have these conversations and the phoenix, which surrounds it, is very much about rising up from the ashes. You and I both know that so many people right now are really, really uh, struggling. And if, if people can buy into this understanding that we have survived 100% of our most challenging days, that serves us well. Like resiliency, it's kind of a buzzword right now, but it is also uh a mindset, you know, it's, it's, it's how we can get through it. It's like, wear it. Um, I wear this bracelet, right. Born resilient. That, that's why we started the clothing line born resilient so that people can wear it, surround yourself with messages that lift you up, surround yourself with people who lift you up. If people are, I don't know, toxic, maybe isn't the right word, but if they're not bringing you peace or if they're bringing chaos towards you, sever it, value yourself enough to create your own peace. So good. So good. And, and I, I want people to learn a little bit more where they can learn more about you and they, you can talk with the clothing line as well. I, I need to purchase some of this as well. So Alan, where can people learn more about you? Probably Kristen, the best place is just the website, alankaler.com, A-L-L-A-N-K-E-H-L-E-R.com. And yeah, let me know if you need an ear or if I can point you in the direction of some supports. Um, the clothing it's, is bornresilient.ca. Pretty simple. Nice. Alan, thank you so much for being here today. 
thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And for everybody, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.